0: Hey there. Welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, Hari Kondabalu stops by the very funny comedian who can now add Netflix cooking show host to his resume. The show is called Snack vs. Chef, and in it, chefs compete to recreate beloved popular snacks uh, like Flamin' Hot Cheetos, which, by the way, if you didn't know, there's actually a term for that dust that you get stuck on your hands after you eat a Cheeto. It is called Cheetle. No relation to the actor. We're also going to hear some music from the very talented Margot Silker. About a year ago, I heard Margot Silker on the radio and I pulled over and I texted our executive producer and said, can we please find this person? And now, here she is on Livewire this week. So dreams come true. Our dream is that you'll stick around for today's episode which starts right after this. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate... Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This episode of LiveWire was originally recorded in February of 2023. We hope you enjoy it. Let's get to the show. Hey there, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going well. Hey, are you ready to play a little station location identification examination? Let's do it. This is where I quiz Elena about a place in the country where LiveWire is on the radio. She's got to guess where I'm talking about. I think you're going to get this one. Uh, This place is famous for its sweet onions. In fact... The sweet onions from this location are the official vegetable of the state that it's in.
1: I believe that would be my home state of Georgia and Vidalia, Georgia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a Georgian who knows nothing about the onion industry in Washington state.
1: Is it not Vidalia, Georgia?
0: It's not Vidalia, Georgia. It's got a back-to-back name. It's often referred to as the town so nice they named it twice. The name actually comes from a Native American term, of um, Sahaptan origin. It translates to place of many waters due to the lakes and rivers and streams in the area. The blank, blank, sweet onion.
1: I guess it's Walla Walla?
0: That's right. It's the Walla Walla sweet onion where we're on the radio on KWWS. Walla Walla. I see you looking at your computer, Elena, furiously trying to find out.
1: It says that Vidalia is the sweet onion city. So I guess it's just they're so far apart, they're not competing with each other.
0: Or or maybe the listeners will email us in this week, and by next week we'll have a firm answer on which town is the real sweet onion capital of the United States. So shout out to everyone listening on KWWS. All right, you ready to do the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away.
1: From PRX, it's. Live fire! This week, comedian Hari Kondabalu.
3: Leave him, Ernie. Leave him. Like, what are you doing? You have two different beds. Like, this isn't the 50s. Like, what's going on, Ernie? Why
1: stay with Bird? With music from Margot Silker.
4: Coming back into urban settings for shows, like sometimes I'll have like cow poop on my shirt sleeve or something like that.
1: And our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank
0: you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone. Tuning in from all over the country, including the true sweet onion capital Amen. of the United States Walla <laughs> Walla, Washington. Speaking of delicious treats, we got a great show for you this week. We asked the listeners a question in honor of our friend Hari Kondabalu hosting this snack show on Netflix. We asked, What snack takes you back? And we're going to hear those responses coming up in just a few minutes. First, though, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard all week?
1: Well, I almost didn't make it to recording today because I was crying so hard over this best news.
0: Sounds like the most emotional news you heard all week.
1: It's just a delight. Um, And it involves something I love and something I know you love, books and TikTok.
0: Sadly, TikTok more than books these days because my brain is shrinking.
1: Well, don't worry, because BookTok has your back, especially in terms of Lloyd Devereaux Richards. He is a retired law clerk who uh, always wrote in his spare time. He wrote suspense novels, thrillers up in his attic in Montpelier, Vermont. And it took him 14 years to finish his first novel, The Stone Maidens, which is a murder thriller. And it came out 11 years ago in 2012. Before there was TikTok, it is important to note, because the sales were all right. But now, 11 years later, Stone Maidens is the number 15 bestseller on Amazon. Whoa. It's beating Stephen King. It's beating Prince Harry. <laughs> There's thousands of new sales, ratings and reviews. The reason for this, by the way, I looked up my book, uh, which also came out in 2012 on Amazon while I was researching the story. Mm-hmm. And while the Stone Maidens is number 15, my book from 2012 is one million two hundred eighty-five thousand three hundred thirty-one. So that's the worst news I've heard. All Wait, week. is
0: this is this Animal Strike Curious Poses or let me clear my throat?
1: <laughs> let me clear my throat. It's the first. Come on, one. people,
0: let's get that up to a half million. <laughs> Elena's book is Let Me Clear My Throat.
1: Well, it doesn't matter what happens. I bet I will not beat Lloyd Devereux Richards, especially in terms of heartstring tugging, because the whole reason that this happened was his daughter, his adult daughter, Marguerite, just was thinking fondly about all of these evenings and weekends where she saw her dad trudging up to his attic and working on his book and how proud she was of him, of, of going the distance and finishing the novel. So she made a TikTok account for Stone Maidens on February 7th. And the TikTok is like 17 seconds long and it's just these images of him and his Attic working and walking around And uh, the text of the TikTok is My dad spent 14 years writing a book He worked full time and his kids came First but he made time for his book He's so happy Even though his sales aren't great I'd love for him to get more sales He doesn't even know what TikTok is (laughs) Wow So BookTok which is the book arm Of TikTok is a very mighty force Take it from me Um, If I was on BookTok my book would not be the 1.2 million Book on Amazon I'll tell you that much (laughs) Within 24 hours, the TikTok had received like 4 million views and then 15 million views. Everybody was putting up all these comments like, I can't wait to read this book. I'm so excited. I've just left an Amazon review. I've just left a Goodreads review. And so then Marguerite posted another video of her father, again, learning what TikTok was (laughs) by watching this video and seeing Just these hundreds of accolades and hearts and stuff scroll by. He bursts into tears. She bursts into tears. And then the last thing he says is, okay, now I need a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true author.
0: (laughs) Wow. This is the new best way to publicize anything.
1: Also, and my mother's probably listening to this, and she's going to put this in the box of reason number 7 billion why you should have had kids, Elena. Just. They could have made for them TikTok. to make you TikTok famous <laughs> yeah. and move more <laughs>
0: copies of your book. Uh, the best news that I saw this week uh, involved the uh, story of Flacco the owl. Flacco is a Eurasian eagle owl. Now, you know all about birds, Elena. You also write for Audubon Magazine. So I'm not sure if you've been following the case of Flacco. But oh. the bad news that happened was that the Central Park Zoo in New York had some vandalism go on where somebody cut basically like an enclosure open. And that happened to be where Flacco, the owl, was living. And now Flacco has been at the Central Park Zoo since he was like under a year old. So pretty much everything Flacco knows about existing in the world has been in captivity. By the way, I have to say Flacco, like I live in Baltimore, and we're talking about the quarterback, Joe Flacco.
1: Flacco. No, that's right. Go, Joe. <laughs> I really have that
0: coming through here. Come
1: on, Baltimore.
0: So, so Flacco has been like in Central Park living in the trees, and they've been following Flacco, but they can't seem to catch him. He's fairly elusive. And the concern there is that Flacco doesn't really know how to survive in the wild because Flacco's never lived out there on his own. And and so he was just kind of like, Flacco, by the way, means like skinny in Spanish, and he Mm -hmm. was getting very close to achieving that goal (laughs) his first couple of weeks in the wild because he didn't know how to hunt. And um, he, like, flew up to a shopping mall somewhere in Manhattan. Firefighters tried to catch him. That was unsuccessful. Um, But something really incredible recently happened, Elena. And as a bird enthusiast, you'll appreciate this. Flacco started vomiting the bones and fur of rats.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That Flacco
0: has been apparently successfully hunting in Central Park.
1: So they can't catch him, but they can catch his pellets, his barfed right. pellets. Okay. And they've been
0: analyzing what's coming out of Flacco, and it appears that Flacco has figured out how to hunt the, let's just say, extremely large population of rats yeah. <laughs> in Central Park. <laughs> and because of this, they have decided that Flacco is now just allowed to live in Central Park. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Flacco has figured it out, how to how to hunt and how to keep feeding himself. So the news this week from the zoo is, we're going to leave Flacco alone. We've, we've basically released him into the wilds of Central Park, where, by the way, I will actually be this week, so I'll be doing my traditional little jog in Central Park, and I'm going to keep an eye out for Flacco.
1: Are they going to change his name if he keeps feeding himself so well to to Gordo? Gordo?
0: (laughs) We're all hoping that Flacco can get to Gordo status out there. And and Lord knows, it's a win-win because it'll be reducing the rat population in Central Park. So Flacco thriving in Central Park is the best news that I heard this week. Hey, let's welcome our first guest on over to the show. He's performed on Conan, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and The Late Show with David Letterman. Maybe more impressively to, uh, you know, our, our public radio listeners is that he's also a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He also made the documentary The Problem with Pooh, which led to actual casting changes at The Simpsons. Uh, these days, he's also the co-host, along with Megan Stalter, of the new Netflix hit series Snack vs. Chef, which he's going to tell us all about. we bring him on the air, this is Hari Kondabalu, right here on LiveWire. Hari, welcome back to LiveWire. Thank you, Luke. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, Can you please explain, for those who haven't seen it, and by the way, it's a small number of people in America, based on the rankings, what is the premise of Snack vs. Chef? Uh,
3: there's a series of chefs, a series of chefs. There are chefs. There's not a series of them. There are just chefs that are there. Okay. Um, they...
0: That calls to mind a very dark outcome for the chefs that are eliminated. <laughs> right. No one's seen
3: Jason for a while. Uh, there are different rounds, and, and chefs in and groups of three compete to recreate a very famous a snack like uh, a ho-ho or an Oreo cookie, uh, but they only have what's available in that kitchen. It's not like an industrial kitchen that you would have. So you would, with whatever you have, let's see how close you can get. And you're not given the recipe. It's intuition, right? And then the next round is you take an element of what's uh, distinct about that that first snack, and you use that element in what you create on your own. So, for example, the, uh, the first episode is about the Flaming Hot Cheeto. Mm-hmm. And what's a Cheeto... It's a high-end show, okay? <laughs> this NPR audience is all like, mm, "I would never watch anything like that."
4: <laughs>
3: it's Downton Abbey or nothing. That's it.
2: <laughs>
3: so the Cheeto, when when you when it ends up on your ha- after you eat it, there's like stuff on your hand. That's referred to as Cheetle. Um, <laughs> I will say, N- not the actor Don. <laughs> they cut that joke out of the show. I was very upset. I thought uh, it was funny. Yeah. As
0: yeah. I, I consider myself a friend of yours, certainly an admirer of your work. I've watched the show with great interest. I loved the just the kind of Cheeto residue on the competitors' hands as yes. the show unfolded. I felt like that was good continuity. Yes. I also was constantly thinking, what did Hari say that they took out? Oh, that. that I felt like I could hear fragments of things that I knew you said that got, you know, they only included so much of it.
3: That Don Cheadle joke was certainly in it Mm. (laughs) and I said there should be a graphic that shows Don Cheadle as a Cheeto
4: (laughs) and they didn't do it. I'm like,
3: like, you're getting free. I'm not paid as a writer. I'm giving you free (laughs) joke advice here. But ultimately, the thing is, the, the show has done really well, but amongst children, because there's a kids' Netflix, it was number one for most of this past week. So I'm like the new Rafi. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing Phone as we speak. Are you?
0: I, I want to know what your sort of, like, snacking resume is. How did you uh, get selected for being one of the hosts of this show?
3: Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting, because uh, I was surprised... Why that I was selected? Because I don't know if people are familiar with my stand-up comedy. Uh, half the people don't like it, right? <laughs> and half the people think it's really good, right? And that's why I'm good at comedy, right? Because right. I say something interesting. But what that, not, that doesn't make me good at is making money. And, <laughs> and, and being accessible to all people, right? Um, so I was confused. Like, uh, did Hassan and Aziz say no? Like, why am I getting this gig? <laughs> and then I'm like, no, they wouldn't even be offered or a- whatever. Okay, so, so I'm like, this is weird. And then I started thinking about the jokes I've told. I'm like, I've made jokes about chocolate, white chocolate, Belgian chocolate, mangoes, Twizzlers, Skittles, Starburst, Tom Kha soup. Pizza, like it's gluttony. I'm not known just for my hard hitting political humor. I'm known for gluttony. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, what's
0: the word cloud
3: next to this comedian? And it was like a lot of snack references. I mean, in my last Netflix special, there's like five minutes dedicated to mangoes. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. mangoes. Yeah, it's yeah. a great bit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very solid
0: part of that act, by yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to take a very quick break here on Livewire. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu, the comedian and filmmaker and also now one of the hosts of Snack vs. Chef on Netflix. Number one, show among impressionable young children stay with us more live wire in just a moment hey elena
1: hey luke i didn't see you there
0: it's that time of year again my seasonal allergies are back
1: Oh, congratulations.
0: But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th.
1: Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies.
0: Yeah, if you are not yet a member of LiveWire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at LiveWire, Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of probably a 501c3 they don't let me near any of the paperwork Mm -mm. or bookkeeping and it's really better that way point is we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members and we would love it if you could join us in that right now plus there are all kinds of sweet perks including uh special discounted tickets to live recordings on-air shout outs exclusive content Uh, And Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this.
1: If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote
0: bag, that's your business, okay? What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Hey, welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. Coming to you this week from Revolution Hall right here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella, we're talking to Hari Kondabalu, one of the hosts of the new Netflix hit, Snack vs. Chef. Now, you have had great success in your career, you've, uh, you've been on a number of late night shows, you made this amazing documentary, The Problem with Apu. Is being a Netflix host a different level of like awareness? Are, are people noticing you in the airport in a way they didn't previously?
3: No, not at all. Actually, (laughs) if I was a talking, flaming hot Cheeto, they probably like that's the that's the thing from the show. Um, Mm. But no, but at the same time, I haven't like because you know I've been on the road and stuff, so I haven't picked my kid up from daycare since the show came out. So. Maybe when I pick my kid up at school, the other kids will be like, oh, my God, it's the new Raffy. (laughs) New Raffy's your dad?
0: You were telling me backstage that you suspect your kid might be the cool kid at school.
3: Yeah. Like, because the other parents tell me and my partner, like, oh, like, so-and-so always talks about your son. Is always saying your son did this or that. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And the thing is, my kid never talks about the other kids. Ever. <laughs> doesn't even doesn't even know most of their names, has very little interest. And I'm like, that's cool kid behavior. Like, yeah. You don't care about their lives, you have no interest in spending time with them outside of school. And it, it's and like part of me feels really good. And the other part of me is like, Oh, my God, my kid would bully me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, what am I racing right now? Like, Because the thing I really wanted was like, a brilliant student athlete that is a friend of the nerds. Mm-mm,
0: mm-mm.
3: I wanted that kind of like that that figure that would unite the communities. Yes. right. Mm-hmm. You might think, why don't you want your kid to be a nerd as well, like like you were? And I'm like, no, because you know every parent wants their kids' lives to be better than theirs were, mm-hmm. and I think that has to come with with being good at athletics as well as school. And I want this kid to be a super I'm, I'm not. I don't want to put too much pressure on the kid. Sure, but. Like, Like, it's just that the genetics line up. You know what I mean? Like, this should be a a slam dunk, which I hope he does much of. But yeah, I really want my... If my kid's a bully, it would break my heart. Like, it's Uh, like, what are you doing? Like, if he's a bully or Republican, that's redundant. Um, Sorry. I just... You gotta throw him a bone every once in a while. yeah. I know. Public radio is nonpartisan. Wink, wink. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is uh, Live Wire Radio, by the way. Luke Burbank here with Elena Passerella. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu. Um, you're back out uh, touring and doing comedy on the road. Uh, I-, I noticed that you did some shows in Seattle that you did not charge anything for because you said you were working out new material. Well, I, I charge $7 plus fees. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was under the, I think I misread that because I thought you were saying it was, it was uh, there was no charge for those shows where you were developing new
3: material. Or
1: maybe you just walked in and you didn't pay any of the money. I did. yeah. yeah okay.
3: I mean, like I do new material nights where it's like an hour of new material and I just kind of like struggle through the hour. So really, I do owe them money. Like, I tell them, like, you're probably like, oh, my God, Hurricane Ibolu in Seattle for $7. How is this possible? And after you leave the show, you'll be like, this man owes me $2. I mean, I've, I've used the Northwest this way, but especially Seattle. I've used it as an incubator for jokes. I try out stuff I would never use for crowds that... Pay more than seven dollars. I, I feel like these crowds are forgiving. They're just happy that, like, oh, somebody's doing a thing. Yay! Um, I'm not saying this is not a first tier city. Portland's a second tier city. I mean, we all know this. Oh, shut up! You know you like being second tier. Don't even give me that. As soon as everybody started moving here, you complain. And now you're booing, oh, but we are... for No, you are a second-tier city, and you love it. (laughs) Nice.
0: The beauty part is we can also remove all of the booing. (laughs) So, like, we can sum that right out. It'll sound like this audience was in complete agreement. Um, How how do you, when you're doing one of these shows where you're kind of working it out, how do you, other than just laughter, how do you have a sense, like, this thing has potential to be... Uh, a good joke and this thing when do you know to give up on something that you've been trying and it's just kind of not
3: working um, I do four of the shows by the fourth one you get a pretty good mm. sense that the audience is completely wrong <laughs> no uh, <laughs> got four bad audiences in a row what's, what's wrong? wrong with these
0: it's like you date someone and all of their exes are complete psychos right right, right, right like right, wow right, what are the right, chances right, you met eight complete psychos wow. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, you know, I mean, if you get a laugh, uh, at least on a couple of the shows off a of thing, it, it might indicate like, okay, so maybe, um, the delivery was better at some, at one of them and you script the delivery or there was a pause or timing or, you know, and, and when you do the shows outside of that little room, that 40 seat theater that, that I work out in, you know, you have to actually see, did what make the joke funny? Was it the actual joke or was it the enthusiasm mm-hmm. and energy you had sharing something new? Because people get excited that, like, you're excited and they want to be in on the joke and they want to be, you know, they're, they're, they're at a comedy show, right? So, but when you run out of that enthusiasm and all you have is, like, like performing ability to make it feel like you're into it, does it still hold? Huh. And at that point, it's like, how many husbands did Elizabeth Taylor have? Like, you right, know, you Exactly. Run-
0: <laughs> You lose the... Another comedian doing that material.
3: <laughs> Richard Burton twice?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I saw that somebody had tweeted at you. Uh, they said, uh, Hari Kondabalu was the first comedian I watched who didn't speak in his parents' accent when he was talking as them. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that Ooh. a decision that you made <laughs> early in your comedy career? Before you even started actually getting up on stage and telling jokes? No,
3: I mean, I started on stage doing the accent because I was 17 mm-hmm. It was 2000. Like the only uh, brown people I'd seen in comedy, you know, like other than Apu, you know, like we're also doing the accent, you know, like if you were hired for a role as a South Asian person or Arab or any buddy who was brown like the accent was all, was always mandatory mm-hmm. right because you were either playing the comic relief in some way like an immigrant that just didn't get it or you're playing a terrorist or you know there's and they those all required accents right so to me i knew accents were where uh, the money was right at 17 and i knew that's what people were going to laugh at and then you know, as I got older, as I got politicized, in 9-11 obviously was a big part of that. Like, okay, like, what am I doing? We have a limited number of representations, and I'm, like, kind of just milking this funny voice that honestly, I didn't even do a good Indian accent. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I was doing an impression of Hank Azaria's impression of an Indian person. Do you know wow. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wasn't I don't have an ear for accents. Like, I don't, I, my accent doesn't sound like my parents at all. You know what I mean? But when you grow up here, and that's the Dominant like comedic voice you're hearing from your community, you know that's the go-to, and that's what like casting directors were looking for. Like I like I interviewed so many people for that problem with Apu documentary, and so many of them like have like either were from India, grew up in South Asian households, like knew like how to do the a variety of Indian accents. Like there's no such thing as an Indian accent. That's like saying an American accent, and you're doing a Southern accent. I'm like, well, that is an American accent. Like no people in rest of the country would strongly disagree right. that that is, that is what an American accent is. So, but they would want the Apu one. They want that sing songy, jokey kind of, of voice that is very unrealistic. Though sometimes you do meet people that have that sing songy thing and it's like, I know that's your actual voice but stop it. <laughs> stop it. Did you learn English from watching The Simpsons? How <laughs> is that your voice right now?
0: So you said it was, was it post 9-11 for you when you said, OK, I'm going to eliminate that from my act, which feels like it must have been a Not kind immediately of
3: immediately because I still needed to make people laugh. So mm-hmm. it was a weird kind of split Personality of an act because part of it was talking about like detentions and deportations of of immigrants and civil rights and injustice, and the other one is like, also, my parents sound like this because I still needed laughs. The other stuff was just like a 19 year old at that point ranting about politics, which is the worst kind of ranting. (laughs) Somebody who really isn't informed but is angry, you know. So then it's like, all right, I feel like that hit Portland closer. at home than I intended um, <laughs> this is a thing I overheard at a coffee shop all right <laughs> um well speaking of uh
0: of twitter I'm curious what your because this started with something somebody had tweeted about yeah. your act what what's your uh as we record
3: this yeah, yeah. what's
0: your current relationship with that platform
3: I'm I'm still on it, but I'm, I'm I think it's time to jump ship and go to the other social media platforms that obviously are very ethical and um, <laughs> are not owned by billionaires who don't care. <laughs> or, right. right. Spread I mean, misinformation. It's a, it's it's you know I'm I'm getting I'm getting off. I use it still to at least post the shows, you know, where then I can make fun of the thing, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm trying not to post anything on it that is anything close to content. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I just it was already kind of destroying the world. And then Elon Musk bought it. And it's like, oh, no, (laughs) like this is actually going to get worse. So you're on it for now, but
0: you're using it mostly to promote your programs, uh, and your things that you're doing, but yeah. you're kind of not putting original content up. So you're, you have a...
3: Every now and then I put a thought up and I feel guilty about it. <laughs> and then I look at like, oh, good thing nobody liked it. <laughs> That's an and- interesting.
0: Because you have like, you have uh, what, like 150,000 followers uh, on there. It's not... Good a-
3: thing I invested so much energy in that particular social media platform <laughs> as opposed to the other ones. Yeah.
0: I got off of Twitter. It was a very overly dramatic scene. Somebody texted me that, uh, you know, they were letting Trump back on, and that for me had been kind of a bright line, and so I put on a sad song by the band Big Thief. I got a glass of wine and I deleted my account. It was a whole weird ritualized thing. It was,
1: you're like in a bubble bath. It was, and
0: I had like, and I had like 15,000 followers, and 12,000 were eggs. So you know, you've got like, again, it's a, particularly if you work in the kind of business that you work in, it's a, it is a thing that's important to what you do.
3: There is a level of fame that lets you cut it, and you're fine. And I am not at that because I still need people to come to shows, right. and I have a child to feed, and. Yeah. I'm a touring performer. Like right. I, I still need that thing, and and that's the part that is unfortunate. I'm like, so please go to the other places so I can make right. you come to my shows from those places. It's like a weird kind of things. I don't want to be on it, and to be honest, like it. If anything, it stunted me creatively because mm-hmm. your thoughts are not going into your notepads. You know, your, your mm-hmm. thoughts are not going into a place that you're looking at again. What you're doing is you're putting your thoughts on this platform and. You know, and people say it's just to test stuff up. What ends up happening is you put it on there and you forget you you forgot you ever wrote it because you're getting that little rush from mm-hmm. people liking it and retweeting it and not from what it was meant to be, which is like you're supposed to craft this, you're supposed mm-hmm. to make this a thought that ends up going to a larger group of people as a joke. Instead it becomes a premise machine that you throw away. You throw away these perfectly good ideas. So to me I'm hoping that Twitter ends up being the best thing for my writing because I feel like I've almost been handcuffed by it for years and I think a lot of other comics probably feel the same way. They've mm-hmm. been writing jokes that are like one line and they're not, they're not one liner comics, do you know what I mean? That's yeah. not where they do their best work and I feel like it certainly is as, you know, I, I go through old tweets sometimes and I'm like this should have been a bit and I mm-hmm. never wrote this mm-hmm. and now Trump's out of office and I can't use it. Well, because, you, know, you know,
0: don't give up faith on that one. Hurry I mean,
3: up. All right, easy. We're editing
0: all of those boos out, and you know it. This is Livewire from PRX. Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu. Now, Hari, this is what we've been talking about with the Twitter stuff is actually really related to what we want to talk about in the next part of our chat, which is that you are, like a lot of people, conflicted about your relationship with Twitter. And we're wondering if Twitter is going to exist uh, years from now because of what we'll just call... All of the things going on. Right, right, right. Or even it might just implode. Who knows? So we wanted to try to sort of get some clarification from you about some of your tweets, some of your actual tweets, before they're lost to history when the platform goes down. So in front of me, right here on this table, we've got an actual jar. This has five of your real tweets in it. We call this the jar of tweets.
3: (laughs) Oh, that's so great that the budget went up on this show. Uh (laughs)
0: Well, some of us made the painful business decision to quit Twitter, (laughs) Hurry, You know? Some of us aren't co-hosting the number one Netflix children's show currently. (laughs) Here's the plan. Uh, We'd like you to please select a a piece of paper which has one of your actual tweets on it. Elena's going to read the tweet, and then we would just love to get uh, a little more context or expansion on the thought. As you were saying, you know, maybe, maybe these are great premises,
1: I remember this one. Uh, this is a, a tweet that you made. Are you the Bert or the Ernie of your relationship?
3: Clearly me and my partner had just had a
1: fight. I mean,
3: that's, <laughs> that seems clear to me, and that is a passive-aggressive <laughs> uh, response to that that I figured nobody would get. Um, <laughs> I think I'm the Ernie man. Yeah. But so here's what I
0: I was looking at your feed and I was noticing that this is a sort of a theme. You've really developed some, it seems, pretty specific theories about the personality types of Bert and Ernie yes. mm-hmm. in relationships. What 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 are the kind of broad strokes of that?
3: Ernie is lighthearted. Ernie just wants to make Bert happy. And sure, he's a bit of a trickster. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the little pranks and stuff, but he cares. And Bert is just like oh I like oatmeal you know what I mean like he's just because like, you know, Bert's eyebrows are always furrowed and he's always like Ernie uh, and, and the whole time I'm like leave him Ernie mm. Mm. leave okay. him like what are you doing you're not even you're, you have two different beds like this isn't the 50s like what's going on Ernie why stay with Bert I mean look I don't know what's happening when the cameras aren't rolling but there might be a reason you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying sure
0: So you feel that Bert is irretrievably broken. This isn't one of those opposites attract, it takes all kinds. You feel Bert is essentially toxic. What I'm
3: saying is that I haven't seen a single scene of Sesame Street, and I've watched a lot the last two years, Mm -hmm. where he's been with a therapist. I haven't seen, or honestly, they both should be with a therapist. I don't understand why they, because I think that would mean a lot to children to see Bert and Ernie with therapists. Like, it's okay to express your feelings. It's okay to talk through your issues with your undefined roommate, partner, person.
1: All
0: right. (laughs) Hari, please select another tweet from the jar of tweets. Mm.
1: Okay. Uh, The fact that an apple was the temptation in the Garden of Eden and not a mango makes the whole thing suspect.
3: (laughs) Mango? Like, mangoes are something you give it all up for. An apple? Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and if it wasn't really an apple, I mean, it must have been like, oh, for this, really, (laughs) this is fine. Yeah, I get we're in the Northwest. I get it. (laughs) but mangoes are the superior fruit my god they're so sensual it is an event I will tell
0: you that and maybe it has to do with the geography of where we are because there are so many apples but a mango is a whole thing it's like you sit down with it it's like delicious it's a treat an apple is like I had a a teacher uh, at Daniel Bagley Elementary School Mrs. Wharton who would eat the entire apple and then eat the entire core while maintaining unbroken eye contact with me during detention and it scarred me Deeply.
3: Was your teacher a horse?
0: (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A lot of stuff is making more sense. This was a stable. The hay, the smell. All right. One more tweet, please, from the jar of tweets.
1: Okay. All right. Apparently you also tweeted, my comedy can destroy relationships. Again, we had had a bad argument. <laughs> <at> that, <but laughs> no, uh, um,
3: I have, I have, um, heard from multiple people after shows. Uh, and it's usually almost always the same combination of a woman of color and a white man. Mm. Right. And, uh, you know, after like a show, the woman of color will come up to me and say, the last time I saw you perform, uh, I brought the dude I was dating and he was a white guy and he hated your stand-up, And that meant to me that he didn't believe most of what I believed in. And we broke up shortly after. <laughs> I have heard that over the last 20 years, at least 40 times Wow! and I'll t- every time it feels good. <laughs> the power, the yeah. power. And also, I I can imagine, like, oh, okay, I I bet you your friends told you this wasn't a good person, Mm -hmm. your family said it wasn't a good good person, but it took me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Not just the number one co-host of children's programming on Netflix, but also separating the wheat from the chaff (laughs) from the stage. Hari Kandabalu, everyone. That was hari kandabalu right here on livewire snack versus chef is available on netflix and hari is also back out on tour so catch him when he comes to a town near you do you ever wish that you were more in the know about upcoming livewire guests or advanced ticket sales for our live shows well you can be if you sign up for our weekly newsletter and get all of the inside LiveWire scoop delivered directly and conveniently to your inbox. Just click keep in touch over at livewireradio.org and we will be sure to make sure you hear it all first. You're tuned in to LiveWire. Each week, of course, we ask our listeners a question in honor of Hari Kondabalu's show, Snack versus Chef. We asked our listeners, what is a snack that takes you back? And land has been collecting up those responses. What do you see It?
1: Oh, these are great. <laughs> uh, Dan would like to nominate as a snack that takes Dan back, Planter's Cheese Balls, which, ooh-wee, I loved those so much when I was a kid. My mother ate them, and they came in, remember they used to come in that can? Did you yes. ever have
0: them? Yes.
1: According to Dan, and this is something that I've noticed before, they don't taste the same anymore. There's so many snacks from my childhood, like uh, moon pies, they don't taste the same anymore. Definitely cheese balls, where either my palate has gotten better or the snacks have gotten less tasteful. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: was, as a kid, we had a pretty healthy food household, not because my parents were particularly obsessed with health, but I think my mom just thought junk food was more expensive. And so anytime I got a chance to have like a Pringle or a cheese puff, or anything that was just like highly, highly artificial. I was like very much there for it. And I I feel like if I open up a can of Pringles and I did not eat all of them, I should be nominated for some sort of, I don't know, medal of self-discipline or something.
1: A can of Pringles is a single serving.
0: It really is, as is a sleeve of Oreos, in my experience. You get a tall glass of milk, a sleeve of Oreos, and that's that's your night right there. That's
1: one USD recommended also yeah. a box of Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> also not
0: officially a USD recommendation.
1: No, um, no. What's uh another snack that takes one
0: of our listeners back?
1: Okay. How about this one from Andrew? Ripple chips and FOD. I guess FOD stands for French onion dip. And Andrew says, nothing screams the Midwest get-together like ripples and FOB, Super Bowl, birthday, funeral, (laughs) FOD. I I
0: didn't know they were called ripple chips.
1: I think that might be a regionalism as well. It's got to be
0: a Midwest thing as well.
1: Those are the ruffle ruffle chips or ripples. I wonder why. Maybe maybe because the Midwest is such an unruffled place. Maybe uh,
0: <laughs> any kind of a dip that is shelf stable, like it does not need to be refrigerated. I know I'm going to enjoy that experience. You know when you're like walking through the like chip section and there's just all that stuff that's in a can, whether it's like uh, sort of refried beans or something that is called cheese, but I mean in quotes mm-hmm. or the dip. I that those are my like some of my very favorite kinds of bad for me foods to consume. I love a good shelf stable dip.
1: Maybe that'll make the apocalypse okay because all of these foods are going to be around.
0: <laughs> all right, one more snack that takes one of our listeners way back.
1: Oh, how about this one from Derek? I feel like this is also regional. The snack that takes Derek back is picnic. P i k n i k. You know absolutely. it absolutely.
0: The shoestring potatoes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also, yes.
0: came in a can that you would you'd open that little like sealed sort of piece of I don't know aluminum at the top, with
1: the little tab, and it would make that noise that like like yes. that opening noise. I could hear that from like a mile away, like a cat <laughs> with a can opener. And then you would be like, I just want to like put all of these sticks in my mouth at once. That just seemed yeah. to be the goal.
0: <laughs> yeah, per shoestringed potato, there wasn't quite enough there for a bite. Mm-mm. But if you like just grabbed a big like handful of them, you could get you
1: get a decent chomp in. Like kindling, you just get like a like a firewood sized bundle of right? picnic.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, as an adult now with like a car and access to all of that kind of food, I'm surprised my whole house isn't just like shoestring potatoes, <laughs> um, like Charleston chew, and like a. Slurpees from all the things that I like you know I, I had some of as a kid but I just thought adulthood is gonna be having all of this all the time because whenever is you delicious. want it yeah.
1: yeah and now you're like oh no I think I should have this protein bar and these uh, okra
0: slices well let's not get crazy I mean I'm just, <laughs> I am still got some not great habits well listen thanks to everyone who sent in your responses you are listening to Live Wire I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello we're gonna take a very quick break but don't go anywhere because when we come back we're going to hear some music from Margot Silker that you're not going to want to miss. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like Cinnamon Churro Chai and Blueberry Cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. All right. Before we get to our musical guest this week, a little preview of next week's show: We are going to be hanging out with Scott Ackerman. He is one of the people who started the HBO sketch comedy show Mr. Show with Bob and David. Uh, before then, creating his own radio program on Indie 103 in LA, that was called Comedy Death Ray. And they started doing something on that show where they would have real live guests kind of improvise these characters and it was so popular that when the show became a podcast, they started calling it Comedy Bang Bang, and they kept this improv model, and it's become a massive hit. Now there's a book out about it called Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the book. Scott is also one of the creators of Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. He directed the movie version of that. Then we're gonna talk to Serafina Elbadri Nance. She is an astrophysicist, a women's healthcare advocate, and, a self-titled analog astronaut. We're going to find out what that means. Sounds dangerous. (laughs) Serafina will be talking about her memoir, Starstruck, which talks about her lifelong love of the stars and what she was up against as a woman of color in the field of astronomy. Plus, we're going to get some music from Portland Favorites, the Family Worship Center. And we'd like to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show?
1: Oh, I love this one. We want you to tell us all about your alter ego. <laughs> Here's what I
0: can tell you. He has a Gmail account. That's my version of a burner phone. I'm constantly starting <laughs> burner email accounts when I have to sign up for, I want to get 10% off that cool looking jacket on Instagram, but I don't want to give him my real email address. So I give him. I make up some, some hotmail burner or whatever. That's my alter ego.
1: My alter ego is named Whittle E and I don't need to tell you anything more about her because she's terrifying. (laughs) I want to hear about that off air, Elena. Whittle Whittle E. E. (laughs) All right. If you've
0: got an alter ego, you want to tell us about, hit us up on Facebook or whatever social media platform you use Instagram. We're at Livewire radio pretty much everywhere. Hey, special thanks this episode to Robert Peacock of Portland, Oregon and Kristen Finley of vancouver washington robert and Kristen are part of the livewire member community and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month and we are super thankful for that support because it is genuinely and i am not this is not hyperbole my friends this is not me exaggerating those donations the kind that robert and Kristen are making are what uh keep livewire going so big thanks to both of them for keeping the show in business This is Livewire from PRX. Our musical guest this week is a singer-songwriter who spent the last six years touring internationally as well as all across the U.S. It's also a regular fixture on the music festival circuit. Pitchfork says her debut album, "Poho Real," showcases her distinct personality with vivid lyrics and lovely, thoughtful arrangements. Check this out—it's Margot Silker right here on Livewire. Hi, Margo. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I have to tell you that about a year ago, I was in my car. I was listening to OPB. I was listening to Think Out Loud. And they had a segment that was people suggesting or recommending the songs that had gotten them through the pandemic. And somebody said this Margo Silker song to (laughs) Hatchapee. And I heard it and I pulled the car over and I literally texted our executive producer and said, can you please find who Margot Silker is and see if we can have her on Livewire? And here you wow. are. It worked. Wow. Here I am. I'm curious, uh, when, you, when you first started playing music, like how old were you?
4: I was singing before I could do many other things. <laughs> I grew up singing, and uh, I was in my first band when my sister Sarah was born. And we're, we've been doing music together ever since then. Um, and I started guitar when I was 12 years old in, like, a lunchtime guitar class. And we, we learned how to sing, like, Simon and Garfunkel.
0: <laughs> do you remember the first song that you could actually play on guitar?
4: Um, I believe it was Hound Dog. <laughs>
0: I, I actually heard there was a really great profile on you on, on National Public Radio, and it really focused on the idea that you, and maybe at, the, at that time you might have been living in Eastern Oregon, yes. um, but the idea that you have spent a lot of time living in pretty rural parts of the country, and you make a certain kind of music, and how do you connect those ideas? How do you relate to the folks in, in Goldendale when maybe you don't share all the same worldview?
4: Well, it's, uh, you know, my my MO has always been, like, to meet people where they are, and um, as my life unfolded, it turned out I just wanted to kind of be connecting with people of all different walks of life and coming from different backgrounds, and uh, if anything, there's kind of funny, like, coming back into urban settings for shows, like, sometimes I'll have, like, uh, <laughs> cow poop on my yeah. shirt sleeve or something like that. <laughs> And it's like, oh, okay. It's probably not everyone moving in and out of this green room is dealing with that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's, that's something that sometimes is a little distinct. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, my It time, happens more yeah. than
0: you'd think. We had Kishi Bashi here just covered in manure. It's <laughs> wild. They'll cut that out. Don't worry. <laughs> So what song are we going to hear, Margot?
4: Well, I don't I'd like to do, well, I said I was going to do one song, but maybe I'll just go ahead and do Tehachapi. Let's leave it up to the people. You want to hear Tehachapi? All right.
0: I wasn't trying to put pressure on you. I really wasn't.
4: Oh, it's all good.
2: I'm used to performing under pressure. It wasn't much of a one- He disappeared one morning Put his mattress up on the back of a pickup truck And I'd been working My shoulders were hurting I'd been learning How to turn my muscle into something Will you think of me? Will you think of me? Will you think of me me? on your way back to Tehachapi In Sonoma County Well, the grass is feisty It could put a tear in your eye Make your nose run like it was wanted You worked on the water And I was out in the pasture And that fog rolling into Petaluma at night Brought those two together Will you think of me? Will you think of me? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? Will I cross your mind down the 99? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? I told you I was willing, but you heard struggling. Tell me, how does a girl with a family like yours end up so desperate? Well, it's these little feats that keep me going. And the day that I quit trying is the day my heart stops growing. Will you think of me? Will you think of me? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? Will I cross your mind down 99? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi but Baby, won't you think of me On your way back to Tehachapi
0: Margot Silker! That was Margot Silker Here on Livewire at the Alberta Rose theater her debut album poho real is available now all right that's gonna do it for this week's episode of livewire a huge thanks to our guests Hari kandabalu
1: and Margot silker laura Haddon is our executive producer heather d michelle is our executive director and our producer and editor is melanie sevchenko Molly Pettit is our technical director, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor and mixer. Our marketing and production manager is Karen Pan. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. Jackie Ibarra is our production fellow, and Julian McElmurray is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music.
0: Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. LiveWire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Robert Peacock of Portland, Oregon, and Kristen Finley of Vancouver, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the entire LiveWire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.